Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast. You are listening to an episode of The Artist's Brain, where we interview and pick the brains of our favorite artists. And today, we have a very exceptional one. Alex McKenna is an actor. She's a freaking badass, and this whole conversation was rad. We, we talk about dealing with grief. We talk about her experience playing Sadie Adler in Red Dead Redemption 2, and she is so generous with her, with herself, her spirit, and in sharing some of her artistic tips, and I learned a lot talking to her, and I know you will too, so enjoy. You're listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. I, I appreciate you doing this because I know you don't really have context for who we are. Listen, I'm, I feel honored to be here. And sometimes I think it's fun to just dive into the deep end of something and see how long you could swim. <laughs> We've got extra oxygen tanks if you need them. Great. Great. Appreciate that. So this is what we call the artist brain series, where we kind of just want to pick the brain of people who are like, you're super talented and we want to steal everything you know. So we just want to talk to you about your process. (laughs) To give you a little bit of context, we're all actors and we're an improv team. Where are you guys located? We're Los Angeles based. I'm in Utah right now, but we, yeah, generally Los Angeles. What part are you? Um, I'm in Salt Lake. Okay. I was literally just there. My closest best friend cousin lives in Salt Lake. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's great, man. I've just been hiking a bunch during COVID and it's lovely. Yeah, it's beautiful. I was like, the air is amazing. They were like, except for two months when there's this like inversion layer and we all think we're going to die. You're in Los Angeles, right? I am. I'm in Silver Lake. Yeah. But if I could go to Salt Lake every month or so to ace my cousin and her kids, but also to go to my favorite vintage store, I 100% would. Where is that? What is that? Downtown. It's called Decades. It's, it's It has great dude stuff too. It's fucking bananas. But I found like some incredible, incredible finds there over the years. I did a film out there for like two months and I think I went there like every other day. Oh, wow. Wait, what film did you do out here? It's, it's little known. Um, it's called The Freemason. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> It was with Sean Astin. Oh, wow. Which was awesome. This guy, Randy Wayne, and I, our director, Sorab, was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was That's amazing. It sounds like there was probably a lot of intrigue, a lot of mystery, secret societies. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm definitely going to check out that vintage store, though. Thank you for the suggestion. You're so welcome. And you guys are here in LA? I'm in Encino. And I'm near Culver City. Okay. I actually did a class in 2019 with your husband, Josh. What? That's yeah. amazing. Were you at um, Warner Laughlin's? Yes. It was in the Warner Laughlin space. We did a mindset intensive for three days. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. With Joe and um, Hillary. And Hillary. Oh yeah. You know them? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Small yeah. world. Hillary. I like it. When I coach for something, I love to work with Hillary and Joe, his wife, we're all, we're all friends. Oh yeah. They're fantastic. I'm so lucky to have met them. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so cute. It's such a small world. It makes me so happy. It makes me happy too, because I feel like when the world feels small like that, it's like a a nice little testament that you're kind of on the right path. I'm like, that is amazing. (laughs) You know, that's, that's really lovely. I feel like I have so many good people in my life and 
you're making me be like, oh, maybe I'm doing something right. Like that just maybe, maybe I'm doing the right things because I want to give myself too much credit, but I feel like I'm surrounded by lovely humans all the time. And I'm like, thank God, you know, it's the best part of life. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I do think it's, that's at least where I gain a little bit of perspective when I feel like I'm failing, you know, that I have these people that like, well, they're great. And that like, they, why they wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if they didn't feel that way about me, I guess. Like I, I have something to contribute because I'm here and we're peers and we love like, okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, and then my head is like, you're contributing nothing. You've done nothing of value. <laughs> like it's just it goes it goes dark, but I think that's part of the artist, you know. You gotta have the dark, dark shadow to have really bright light. Otherwise, you wouldn't know the difference. But yeah, I mean, especially with this pandemic and things just kind of stopping. And then I had friends that were like, you know, writing this book and doing this thing. I was like, I'm just trying to hold my shit together. (laughs) Dude, I actually, I feel like I must tell you that I I hadn't played any Red Dead games, but that that, that, it got me through this pandemic. Truly. It really did. I love hearing that. I really do. I I mean, what a special fucking piece of art that, that monster of the game is it's just have you guys played it as well i spent like six months trying to convince anatasha to play it and it took a pandemic to get her to do it but yeah i've yeah i'm very obsessed with that game it's yeah yeah. that's the first game i've played start to finish probably in seven or eight years but i couldn't stop it like you said it's it really is a piece of art like it it's so good let's just jump right in i'm gonna gush for a second so you can tune out if you want (laughs) It, it really is like the most like cinematic and artful and like well-produced game, but, but more than just a game that I've ever interacted with. And the acting is by far the best acting I've ever seen in a video game, yourself included. It was so good. Yeah. It's nuts. I, I feel like I've, I've been playing video games pretty much my whole life. I have two older brothers who are like, you know, threw that on me at an early age. And there's just not that many really great female characters, let alone ones that have that kind of arc. And then to give you credit, it is so well acted. You're incredible in it. And yeah, I mean, we had to, we had to fangirl at some point during this, but it's, you're brilliant in it. And it's like, it made me like cry and laugh and it, you were great. So thanks for sharing your talents. Thank you guys. I mean, I, course I'm partial to it and I you know got to be doing like theater in the round in this like bizarre jungle gym soundstage like the most talented people like truly every single actor on that the level of creativity the professionalism and just the I don't know fervor with which they like threw themselves into a character and and with a video game unlike you know a television show or a film we don't get a script to prepare you know we get however many pages they're having us do that week, we get it a few days before we show up on set. Every day is like, essentially, you know, you get to set 9am to like 6pm. It's like very, very like European that way. You know, I wasn't able to see the whole script. I didn't even know that Sadie Adler had an arc for a year or two. I, I mean, I did the beginning chapter two in the beginning and I was like, well, that was cool. I was different. You know, I'm like T-posing and being like, oh, oh, and now we, now we do it. 
oh, okay. You know, and you're like, it's very technical, but it's not. And, you know, if you're hugging, you're like trying to make sure that the camera that's picking up every micro movement that's in your face isn't like linking to somebody else. And it's like, it's this really, you know, but if we're crying, like we're crying. The reason that Sadie looks like me is because it's literally my face that it's reading. And, um, you know, I was just trying to, trying to do my best and take every scene and be like, okay, what if this, what if this was it? Like, how can I make this interesting? And then by like year three, I think when we were all getting like way more comfortable with one another and, um, yeah, everyone signed this same insane NDA. So you can't talk to anybody else about it. Half my friends were like, did you join the CIA or CIA? Like you're, you're what? Like you're coming home with bruises. Like you're needing to get like, (laughs) go to the chiropractor and the acupuncturist. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. I can't get a hold of you for 12 hours. And I was like, like, please stop asking. It's not that you aren't in any danger. Just please stop asking. I don't want to get in trouble. I want to keep working with these people. (laughs) Uh, But we would start to share lines at lunchtime or in the morning to be like, can I have more context? What's happening here? Like, and, and it, you know, little by little, I was able to piece together that like, holy shit, Sadie's dope. Like <laughs> this is getting better and better. And not everything was done in a linear fashion, like how we shot, but you know, more and more, I started to see that she was a real part of the gang and that she was, you know, yes, in the camp, but in the gang of the camp, you know, and riding with the boys and having these amazing missions and learning more about her backstory. And I mean, the writers were phenomenal to have a character to play that isn't in relation to a man in the sense that she's not somebody's love interest. She's not somebody's sister. She's not somebody's, you know, mom. She's just this like autonomous human who's gone through this horrific tragedy, been completely violated and then just, builds something out of the ashes and then you know spoiler alert like you know becomes her own fucking boss is during that time like the absolutely coolest character i've ever played to date 100% it sounds like a like a a fucking shakespeare play being like here are your lines like <laughs> here's our your lines and your cues and that's it so i'm really curious like when you're handed that script and you know that you don't have a lot of time what are you prioritizing in your process and what gets left by the wayside because of that timeline? That's really interesting. I think had my other actors not been as wonderful and giving and, you know, we all wanted to create something that we could be really proud of our work. And, you know, again, it's rock stars, so you know, it's going to be good, but like, I, I don't know what that means as far. I, I had never played Red Dead Redemption. One. I actually didn't even know what we were doing for an absurdly long time. It had a code name. I don't think I could share it, but I, it had a code name and I was like, okay, I know we're in a Western. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> clear. You know, I'm wearing my like high heel boots and everyone else's cowboy boots. I mean, the accents and whatever, I mean, you know, pieced it together pretty quickly, but as far as like knowing that this was a prequel, had no clue, but we would get to set early and we would just be like, Hey, do you want to run this? Do you want to work on this? So that we were trying to figure out our intentions and, you know, learning like, first of all, the lines, because you want to have your physical freedom and you need it. But, you know, I was using like apps on my phone to memorize everything and then just, 
thinking about interesting, like a lot of it was actually really physical. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm remembering pacing my apartment in New York, like, okay, okay. How does she smoke a cigarette? How does she, how would she stab somebody in the hand? Like what's her, you know, like what are her levels vocally, honestly? And like, you know, I remember I tried something once where I was, cause I kind of I do this sort of like mouth thing sometimes. And then I would spit and I was like, maybe just ask for forgiveness and not permission. <laughs> and I remember one time just spitting and everybody loved it. Like it was awesome, but I like legitimately spit on the floor. And I was like, afterwards, at me, Alex is like, but I'll clean it. I'll clean it. I'll clean it. I just, I sorry. I just, I hope it works. That's bold. Give yourself, per- I love giving yourself permission like that is great. Oh man, that's taken a lifetime because I'm a, like a, is it okay? You know, I'm, but no, I mean, so long as it's not hurting anybody, messing anything up, offending anybody, you know, we're in a creative space here and everybody's trying to support one another. And like, at that point, I think better to go a little, a little over than under deliver, especially in a, this kind of game, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's one thing about, I mean, everyone's performance in that game, but yours especially is like, <laughs> I've been using this term from my nephew and it's the worst, but like full send it. Like there are moments in that, in that game where the emotions like added on 11, like it's full, like all in, like you can't, nothing's being held back. And if it was, it wouldn't work. So no, no. And to know that like you're in those moments sort of without context makes it even more impressive. It was hard, but also it forced me to be incredibly present you know, it's like when, when I was a kid actor, I wasn't doing the work I'm doing now. You were playing make-believe and you're using every part of your imagination. And that's something that is required when you're doing a video game, because, you know, we can sometimes see a rendering of what's happening, but we are in a concrete jungle gym. You know, we are getting on barrels that have saddles on them with poles that look like horses, but they're not, you know what I mean? We're, we're, I have a foam knife. I've got actual weighted guns. So that was real, but like, you know, we're like, okay, where are we? What part of the terrain? What's the weather like? And you're forced, like really forced to be at your best in absolute presence. So, you know, that actually makes it fun. You can't do the actory thing where you're like, where am I, you know, because you just have to be in the moment and pray that they will figure out how you get from one place to another, because some of it's in game and some of it's out of game. And that's, you know, a different thing that happens. And I can't control that part. I can only control, you know, my cutscenes and what's going on with how I am right there in that moment, riding next to Arthur, John, you know, <laughs> just- <laughs> dude, it's really cool. It, It reminds me of like the empty space of theater or when we're doing an improv show because you you're like, there's so much more that you don't know. But if you're looking in the eyes of your partner, you're like, but I got you and you got me. So and that's like there's a a, such a big amount of trust in that that I I just uh, love. Yeah. Our director, Rod Edge, was phenomenal. And our I mean, everybody was phenomenal, like the writers. And there were times where you know, we'd be like, this, does this make sense? Could we, and everybody was working together, you know, whereas I've been on sets and you are, you want to be collaborative, but also like you are not, none of us were the captains of the ship. You know, it's like 2000 people worked on this game and you are 
doing everything you can to just elevate it to, you know, obviously where it deserves to be. That's, that's what made it so much fun. And, and, you know, it's very physical and it's emotional and it's everything you want it to be. And like way more intense for one's imagination than like, cool. Now we're in the world and let's play kudos to everybody at Rockstar for casting everyone that they did because it made it so much easier. And, and that is not something you get all the time. And we're all still so close. Like we're on a text chain. We, you know, we love to see each other. We were seeing each other pretty regularly pre pandemic, you know, a few of us were going on the Comic-Con route and that was really cool. I, I was very nervous in the beginning because I had the, you know, artist thing was like, the fuck would want to pay to see me that's so (laughs) crazy like no way though again there is something about having like an avatar of yourself almost and having it not be you that I think helped me feel less strange about it it's like you're geeking out about the avatar as well you're like yeah man it's so cool I flew to (laughs) New York because I was like wait a second we're on billboards I was like, I've got to see this. I moved to LA and I was so excited about it. And, you know, I used to play GTA and I loved Rockstar Games in college. And I, I, I mean, when I showed up that first day and I like saw the emblem on the building that I was told to arrive at, I was like, oh, what? Oh my God, this is so cool. And I can't tell anybody about it. Okay. Yeah. Shit. But it'll be cool at some point. And, you know. Speaking of things you probably just won't ever be able to tell anybody about. Let's say Sadie is the protagonist of Red Dead 3. You, Alex, what would you like to see from her? I mean, you basically had like five seasons of a television series with this character, like the equivalent of a number of hours with this character. So what else would you like to see from her if that ever is a thing in the future? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) I know that sounds a bit like a cop out, but, you know, Sadie holds a a very dear place in my heart. And I joke that she and I have a lot of similarities. Um, Our wardrobe is like, it's kind of bonkers. We have a lot of the same clothes. We are very loyal. We are very passionate about the things we believe in. We do all the things, you know, like I got my garden. I will haul stuff. I built stuff like, you know, we, you just, I, I ride, I actually love to shoot guns. Like I'm, I'm, I, there was like some real, you know, would I have the same revenge plight? I don't know. Couldn't, couldn't say, couldn't say, but I, I can empathize very deeply with that feeling at least. I, I would want to, to travel with her. I want to maybe see different terrain and just be a boss bitch get my like expand a business. I don't know. I just, I I get asked that question a lot and I say the same answer always. It would be a dream to play her some more. So, and I loved working for Rockstar. So were they to call again, I would say yes. Who do we need to write a letter to? What sort of, we need to get a petition going. This needs to happen. I would, please, I would love it. I love it so much. Did you, when you got into this, did you know that it was going to be a five-year process or were no. you thinking like one month had no idea when I auditioned for it I didn't even know it was a video game I just assumed it was like an apple something because I got there they were like your sides will be there I was like, okay it was through 
not like there, the way that my agency worked, it would be like, there's the feature people, the TV people, the this people. And, you know, then there's the commercial department and the voiceover department. And there was like sometimes some crossover. So I didn't really know what I was going into. I assumed it was a commercial. I was just like, okay. And then I got these sides and they said, how much time do you need with them? And it's in a, in a Southern accent. I was like, okay. So I walk in, it's just an empty room and a camera. And I was like, this is okay. Like just do your best. So at that point, it's actually very freeing and you have a lot of permission to just have fun because there aren't the stakes of like, did I prepare it properly? And you know, you're just like, why not just leave it there on the table? And then it's very easy to be like, cool. I did my, okay. I I, like, I don't know what that was. And I had a call back and then I got the call to report to this place. And I don't think I knew it was for Rockstar until I saw that emblem on the building and was like, (laughs) cool. And had a full, you know, facial scan and the the things that they do, the ROMs. And I um, showed up to set, had no idea. It was like, cool, I get to play a character. This seems like such an iconic, you know, New York actor experience for me to have, even though I know that they film in LA too, but it just felt... You know, you get on this van and you get shipped out to somewhere that you don't know. And then, you know, you're back. Like That sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's an unmarked van. Some people grab you. They put a bag <laughs> over your head. Next thing you know, you wake up three days later and you're, yeah, you're in a video game. I'm curious because I imagine this is the opposite experience. Because like Rockstar going in, knowing nothing. And then instead, uh, you know, when you're like producing your own short, you know everything. And you're like so much more in charge. Um, I, we watched your short and I loved it so much. I have to tell you, I was so impressed. I've been watching like a lot of shorts and film festivals and stuff. And I just felt like the, the quality and the amount of like feelings I was feeling, I was like, the short's great. So I'm curious what your experience was being a producer and, and also working with your husband and if you'd worked with him before and what that was like. Well, okay. So he had written one, two, three, you please, I guess a year or two before I'm terrible with chronology, but I think that's correct. He originally was going to, cause he's Canadian was going to get, you know, like a, a lot of funding because the Canadian government actually gives artists money sometimes um, unlike here in the States <laughs> and, uh, you know, he had this whole plan and it, for whatever reason didn't happen. And I, we were both living in New York at that point, And he kind of looked at me and he's like, why don't we do this? And I was like, okay, what do we need to do? Cause if I'm in it, then you can't get your Canadian, you know, I'm American. He's like, right. So we'll just, we'll raise money. And I was like, oh, okay. I, okay, absolutely. Like, can I produce in the sense, do I feel confident of figuring out the best people and pulling that together? Totally. Raising money is something that's uh, very, very difficult. And you have to be, you have to really believe in what you're doing because you are literally asking your friends and family to give you money. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, myself (laughs) included. (laughs) But I really believed in this project because, you know, my husband had suffered from OCD. I have my own version of OCD we I think all have this self-doubt and these voices in our heads that we're constantly trying to manage turning down the volume to uh, turning up things that help you in your life and and not getting stuck so it was like what is it what would be a, a day 
in the life of somebody with extreme OCD and, and Josh, a lot of the experiences came from Josh's own. And I, you know, then the creative part of producing was my favorite part. It was like, I had this hit. I was like, she needs to have blue hair. I don't know why. She's just, that. Hmm. I actually think it's representative. And then it was really, really fun to put it all together. And then we had some great producers um, on the ground with us and Josh was directing it and played a part in it. We asked two of our friends to play other parts and it, um, it really came together. I mean, we, we raised, gosh, like 20, 20 grand, maybe, um, just, you know, shoot in New York for four days, which is. Wow. That's impressive. Thanks. We felt strongly that everyone should, you know, get paid and, um, we put up some funds for it and, uh, yeah, it was, it was just something we really believed in. And I, I was excited to play somebody with that kind of vulnerability and to try to honor, to not have it be a caricature of somebody who's going through something. Cause when you are going through something, you're not playing the thing you're going through. You're literally just trying to survive and stay above it, get through it, not let anyone see what you're dealing with. And at that time, my mother had just passed away and I was feeling like though my version of, you know, OCD like has never been to that degree. That hasn't, I was able to really relate to the character because of knowing right then and there how it feels to just, you're trying to survive, you're trying to manage, you're just trying not to feel all the things that are happening in your brain. So yeah, it was, it was really, it was a special, thank you for watching it. It was, it was a really special experience, you know, and then you learn things you're like, okay, we should have actually budgeted more time for this thing, or maybe that lighting package would have been better or, you know, the lenses over here, but I think everything's a constant learning experience. And I found that every set that I'm on, even if I'm not producing or have any other role in it, but being an actor, um, everyone's just trying to figure it out and nobody really knows what they're doing hundred percent. It's hmm. always new and you're always like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. <laughs> I think that's why we do it. You know, like while I envy somebody who goes into an office and has security, um, yes. <laughs> a routine. Pish is really envying it. You're like, oh, yes, I'm in. I mean, sometimes I look at an office building and I'm like, it just must be so nice to have like a super modern office building to walk into and just a, a routine that's reliable, you know? A co- like a constant paycheck. Oh. <laughs> you know? Health insurance. Oh Give me God. a break. Duty. No. <laughs> it's amazing how your priority shift as you get older. Like, we joke that there are things where it's, you know, do, do I love this thing? Do I need to do it? No. Do I really want my health insurance? Absolutely. So we're going to do it, you know? <laughs> when you're younger, it's such a, it's like a passion and it doesn't, the job aspect of it doesn't come into play. I didn't even consider that even when I was working in a bar five nights a week and auditioning and doing that. But, you know, it was like, no, this is my life as an artist. And then you get into your like mid thirties and you're like, okay. I, hmm, how do I make a sustainable living out of this? Yeah, I, <laughs> so that I don't have to hustle the 92 things. Like I'll still hustle like 46 things, but 92 yeah. too much, you know? It's like the older I get, the more aware of my mortality I get. And then there's certain things that I'm like, I really don't want to live without health insurance. I don't want to be in that world, but 
It's like when I was younger, I was willing to sacrifice that. And currently I still am, but I question it a lot. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, that's progress, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a a trip. I feel like... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just, I've been doing it since I was five. So I think there were things that I just took for granted with like, you know, yes, there are times where you don't work, but you're consistently working. There's this little thing that's like, okay, this dry spell won't last. And then you're like, well, will it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, for that reason in particular, do you plan on producing more or like trying to, you know, take creative control in that way? Absolutely. I am currently working on a podcast that I wasn't, you know, it's, it seems with a little bit of distance from when I decided that I was going to do it so obvious. Like I, you know, I do a ton of voiceover work. I do audiobooks. I was in this video game. I use my voice all the time. I read like a monster and I like to storytell. So why I was trying to not engage in this thing, I'm, I'm still not really sure. I feel like I'm always the last to realize how obvious it was for my path to go a certain direction. But, you know, as, as I mentioned, my mom had just passed away and my dad had passed away a few years before that. And I'm an only child, but there are two elder stepsisters, but for the most part, it's, you know, been on me, you know, especially with my mom passing, it was me figuring out things that, you know, at 31, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm an artist. What do you mean I have to do six sets of taxes and talk to every kind of appraiser under the sun? And what's the difference between probate and a letter of testamentary and arguing with American Express because you don't actually need that because I'm in the state of California? Like wild, wild shit that I was just almost floored by and tried to, I think, only survived with having humor and, you know, some some support from friends that were like able to sit with me while I'm, you know, organizing just insane amounts of boxes in three storage units, move like just wild shit. So the podcast is called Good Grief, The Games of Loss. And Mm. it's going to be a humorous take, as funny as we can make it, on just different aspects of what it's like to either lose somebody, be trying to support somebody who's in the middle of loss, different kinds of grief, And just, you know, create hopefully a platform where it's not complete trial by fire like it was for me, where like, you know, whether or not you have a question, you can write that in. We'll be talking to guests. We'll also be having experts, you know, for example, nobody knows unless they tell you that if somebody, let's say you're in hospice or what even hospice means, but let's say you're in hospice uh, or you're not in hospice and a body is passes it at the house. You have to call the police. There's a dead body in the house. If you don't tell them to turn off the sirens, it's a fucking crime scene. But it's not a crime scene because you just fucking lost somebody. So it's like, it's all this shit that I would be like, hey, the more information I could get out there so that you don't have to go through this trauma, you know, or you could just make it better for somebody else. And even people who don't, like, it's coming for everybody. That's the one thing we all know. And we're all going to lose somebody. So like, to kind of take the stigma off of it to let it be not as morbid and just, I mean, it's like a dirty word. It's like saying the word cancer. Like people want to like, let's not talk about it, you know, and he dies or it's like, you're good, right? You're okay. You know, like just, just have it be a little bit more in a, in a space where it can be funny. You're allowed to laugh. You're allowed to cry at the same time. You're laughing. You're allowed to be fucking mad. 
you know, like all of these things that I, it took me a minute to figure out. And had I not had those two things happen and since then have lost both my grandparents and, you know, it's like, I, I found myself being the person that people called a little bit to be like, well, how do I, how do I plan a funeral? Well, how, how do I do this? And I'm like, oh shit, I'm that person, huh? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in the best way, but like, okay, universe, cool. It's been all of these, obviously, it's not that I am an expert. It's just that I actually have been through it and I'm now always curious and I want to keep learning about it because we don't talk about it. We get scared and it makes people uncomfortable, but the great irony is everyone is going to deal with it. So mm-hmm. what are we doing? You know, it's crazy that, you know, you're going through something so painful. And then on top of that, there's all this bullshit red tape shit that you're dealing with that you're like, why the fuck, like, why the fuck am I dealing with this right now? Like I'm already holding the biggest thing in my life. Um, totally. So I, I mean, I'm definitely gonna listen to that. I'm- yeah, we we talk a lot about mental health, or we've been talking a lot about mental health because I think as performers, we're in this space where we realize how important it is to be able to access those parts of your life that some people have so many walls set up in mm-hmm. front of to not feel things. So I love I love this because it sounds like it's just so simpatico with being a performer and being in the arts and your experience there can give so much just perspective to this process for other people. That's actually, thank you. I have not even thought about that as a, as a parallel or something that people could gain from because I, that's really cool. Thank you for saying that. Cause I find, you know, I learned more and more that the more, I mean, I, I've trained with some awesome people like, Love Warner, love everybody at Warner Laughlin's. Um, Larry Moss, who was basically my mentor since I was 21, would say things like, you know, to be the to be the best actor, to play the worst villain, to go to the places you have to go, you have to be a supremely healthy individual. And in order to do that, he's like, I don't care where you've come from, what you're doing, how good things are, go to therapy. You're taking a class in yourself. And actors have two issues. They either have emotional blockages or technical problems. Typically, it's a combination thereof. How you think that you're going to play another character if you don't know what your shit is, is beyond me. He's like, I've never seen it work. So you need to know what your triggers are, what your stuff is. And you need to also be able to clear that. And, and I know that a lot of the time as actors, we, we hold on to our pain in a way that we're like, if we don't cherish it, then it's not going to work for this thing, or I'm not going to be able to cry, or I'm not going to be as volatile. And I swear to you, <laughs> doing the work and being the therapy and, you know, I'm, I'm, and everything, like I used to be really timid, honestly, like physically. And I just, you know, I, I didn't want to take up too much space. And I had been on television as a kid and I had done theater, but I didn't, I didn't know by the time I got like 22, 23, how to like be comfortable in my own skin. And he was like, cool. I need you to go take dance class. I need you to go take pole class. I need you to sing. And I was like, I don't sing. He's like, cool. I'm going to give you Lieutenant, Lieutenant of Inishmore and you're going to sing. I was like, I hysterically cried for two weeks. Like I had all these blockages <laughs> that, you know, I just, 
it's like, why are we restricting ourselves and why are we afraid to like turn on a flashlight inside? And I think it's because we have gotten so used to coping. And for so many of us, like that's been how we survived. So part of that is like thanking the person who kept you safe, but knowing that if you do have a community and you do have friends and you do have support, and if you do and support meaning, you know, a therapist, doctor, whatever it is that like, you are going to be okay to feel the things. And part of our superpower, I think, as actors and creators and artists is that we can sit in the feeling for longer than people can, people who don't do what we do. We can discuss it. We can examine it because it is painful and it is scary. And the more specific and honest and authentic you can be about these scary, ugly, dark, hard parts the more permission and light that gives to everybody else to feel, to go there, to just start, you know, being more open and and having frankly more empathy, because I do think the world would be a much better place if we could just have a lot more empathy and see how we're similar and not divided by our differences or whatnot. That really I mean, preachy there, but I know it's beautiful. Yeah. It's like you oh, are yeah. as an artist learning to sit in your discomfort and look at the thing so that other people can be braver and also look at the thing. And I found this to be so true. And when I was young and dumb, I, I really thought like, oh, well, you know, I probably won't be able to access my vulnerability um, you know, unless I'm in pain or like, you know, it's, it's some fucking dumb fucking shit. Yeah. But I actually found that if I was, if my mental health was bad and I was in a lot of pain in, in my life and I couldn't look at it, it would block me up and I wouldn't be able to access my emotions because I, I, I don't know, some part of my survival mechanism was like, if you touch that, you, it will bowl you over. Totally. And you know, the the healthier I find myself, the easier it is to just like open up the heart and be like, it's okay to jump. You're safe. You're safe. You're safe. Totally. Totally. I, um, you know, it's your survival kicks in and your survival isn't rational, right? So you can be like, Hey, no, I know that I'm acting right now. Okay. Now it's time to cry now. Now some like, it's okay. And your system's like, no, you're going to die. And that's, and then it just shuts down. You're like, oh my God, what can I do? And so, you know, it's good to have like a lot of things in your arsenal, like bless the people who are like super method or super this thing or super that thing. That to me seems really restrictive and terrifying to only have one thing because you don't always know where you're going to be. Like my, you know, I I was on um, an episode of Code Black and I had auditioned and I was excited. I was like, cool medical show. It's going to be great. Fun guest star sort of knew the premise, but obviously just had my audition side. So I didn't have the script. I get to set. Obviously nobody knows what's going on in my life. I'm in back in LA. My mother is in the hospital. She's not doing well. Turns out my mother in the episode gets hit by something, some like shrapnel and is in the hospital. She has the exact same haircut as my mother. Blonde. They look very similar. I've just, every day that I wasn't shooting was in the hospital. I would go to the hospital after set. My mom loves this show. So I'm like, this is really great. Like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I get there. I have to shit you not watch my mom die in the scene in the hospital. 
and my mom had stage four cancer. Like that, that that's, you know, like all roads, this was with life, you know, imitates art or art. I don't know what the fuck was happening, but it felt like the universe was like, all right, girl, let's do what you got. Who <laughs> are you? Like, and I got to set and was like, okay, okay, okay. And I was like, you know, just kind of almost having these like mantras with myself. And I've never done that before. And I've never, you know, because the amount of, pre- and nobody knows, because obviously I'm a professional. I'm not going to tell everybody like, well, this is what's happening in my life, but it's exactly what you're saying. I kept, felt, I kept feeling the, the thing, just like the valve shut, the numbness start because, you know, if you get eaten by a bear, but really, or rather if you get surgery, your body doesn't know that you're not being eaten or mauled by a bear. It's like, your body doesn't know the difference. So even though rationally I'm like, cool, this is a, television show my heart my body was like your mother's dying in the hospital because if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing as an artist you're downloading like you know the reality even if it's fake or imagined but my reality was this reality and it was just coming together and I was like well this is where my training kicks in I guess oh shit oh my god what am I gonna do and I you know because again I'm like all right if I go there am I gonna be able to get out because obviously we're not filming in sequence and I have an earlier scene later and I can't be hysterical, you know? So like, <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah. And I just, I've never done so much breathing in my life. I also had to, and again, on a television set, you don't have time, like money, time, it's all the same thing. So you're constantly being, you know, and I had to be like, can I take a second or no, I didn't even think I said, can I said, I'm going to take just one minute. And I took, and I was like breathing and I was like, okay, here we are. And just whatever happens. And like, if you can't, if you can't get there, you can't get there. And I'm sure they have something to help you. And if you can, great, you're safe. And you can ask for a couple minutes to recover. Like, you, you know, it, it was, it was so gnarly. <laughs> it was so gnarly. Wow. But it, was, it, it came across I can't watch the episode. I watched it one time and was like hysterical because I like was like, oh no, this is too much. But yeah, I think it had I not been in therapy, had I not had the training and the, you know, honestly, like breath work and everything else to make me feel safe and to make me feel like I knew how to support whatever was about to come up and and ways to get out of it, then I I don't I can't imagine. I can't imagine what would have happened. Because again, that was another thing I, I had, I had always been careful and like my big thing was being terrified about not having emotions. And now I'm like, just like a, a open faucet, but I can turn it off now. But when I started in therapy and I started going to class and I started working on other projects and seeing the things that actually affected my heart, I didn't have that, like, you know, I don't have a mastery yet, but I didn't have the same ability and control that I do now. And you can only get that through doing it. You know, you would never say to an Olympiad, oh yeah, you just, you just did it. Right. Like it takes practice we, with athletes. You, you, even if you're a, you know, basketball player, maybe you are taking a ballet class, you're doing Pilates, you're doing this, you're taking everything to get your tool and instrument as tuned to what it needs to do to perform. And it's not going to be the same in every game. And that's sort of how I feel with acting, especially like every character is not the same. Some stay with you longer. You got to know how to clear that shit out, you know, because again, you're feeling real feelings, even though it's a make-believe circumstance. 
and your body doesn't know the difference. Besides therapy, do you have any practical ways to to tell people like to practice turning that faucet on and off or, or anything that helped you have like those moments where you're like, oh, I, I'm better at this now? Yeah, I think if you're if you get interested instead of judgmental about the things in you that affect you, and that can be like what brings you great joy, what hurts when you press on it, like a bruise, what you absolutely get super black and white about. Because I think black and white is really brutal for anybody who wants to be an artist because it's a sort of adolescent way of thinking. You know, things are not black and white, man. There are shades of gray and then there's a whole color spectrum and everything is nuanced and difficult and, you know, uh, gorgeous and exquisite and brutal. And it can be all of those things at one at one time. So I think getting really curious and open with yourself about what you like about yourself, what you don't, looking at your parents, seeing what your reaction to, what you're not, knowing what your triggers are. Like in, in scenes where I have to get really angry, I almost always afterwards need to cry. Why is that? I needed to look at that because that's, you know, like what, you know, is rage always covering up sadness or is that just for me? Like what, you know, really just getting curious and also like reading, like reading about other characters, like beautiful books, um, plays, plays out loud, like seeing the things that resonate with you or don't. Yeah. Being, being curious about who you are within the medium you've chosen to like devote your life to. Like everybody's fucking different. And there's no right or wrong. So it's just about getting curious and wanting to explore. Yeah, I love that. Because you got to have the courage to go there with yourself and say the things that you don't even want to bring up. At least that's the way that I feel sometimes. I'm like, I need to turn over the rocks that I'm scared about all the spiders that are under it. Yeah, I think that's the scariest part. And again, we've also, you know, you have to honor the part of you that's still trying to save you and protect you. And, you know, also recognize like we all hold secrets. We've all been trained by our families or our upbringing or whatever's happened, where your place is, how you feel safe, what the things, what you value, you know, just like figuring out who you are within that so that when you play another character, you're A, not judging them, B, can actually take yourself out of it because, you know, this character doesn't have my hang up about X, Y, and Z. This character doesn't, you know, love vintage clothes and formula one like Alex does. So what are they like? Like, but like legitimately, you know, like what, and why does Alex like that? All right. I'll look at that. Why does she like that? Okay. You know, and it becomes like a fun puzzle. If you look at it like that, it's hard a lot of the time, but also I'm curious. I don't want to be a reaction to life. I want to know who I am and be able to have some control over my behavior and how I exist within the world. Yeah. Like if you can't keep asking the whys about yourself and then the why that and the why that, you can't really expect to be able to do it about some created person that you've never met. Totally. Um, that's great. That man, that Code Black situation, you are incredibly brave. And I feel like that's like my nightmare. Um, like hearing you even talk about it was making me feel a lot of feelings. It was... Yeah. I still, I still look back at that and just can't process, you know, it was one of those things that was, I was being 
so present because all everything wanted to do was disassociate. And, you know, I'm, I got cast on a show and I'm a professional and it is a thing and you can't, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, and that's the, I didn't say, Hey, I can't right now. I'm having a family situation. So that was on me. So it really doesn't matter what's happening in your life. Like you have to just in a healthy way, be able to compartmentalize, but also keep yourself integrated. Yeah. It's a lot of ask in a society that doesn't necessarily prepare you to take care of yourself just by itself. Oh God. No, no. I mean, I mean, I was, what we were watching, we were watching, we were watching an old movie and, you know, everybody's like, don't cry, don't cry. You know, and I remember like, that's a whole generation that said, don't cry, don't cry as a kid. I mean, I remember hearing that all the time. So, but why, why not just fucking cry? You're not, you're, you're not going to die. Just cry. And then it passes. But we have all of this like fear that we haven't even looked at because we've been told not to do something. It's so, it's so interesting. And then when you're supposed to do it, like for example, and somebody died and it's like, you're supposed to grieve. So you can't, like, there's just, you're in survival and no one's taught you how to manage that. It's like, you know, I, I think your podcast is awesome because you're destigmatizing the realities of mental health with being an artist, with just like being a good human in the world. Like that's something people don't talk about enough because we're also, we're really going fast. Like everybody's just going fast and trying to get done what they want to do. And we have our goals and we have our wants. And, you know, it's like, sometimes it's okay to just sit back and look at like what you were building and, you know, notice that you got amazing people around you and like you've created this dope podcast. Like that's amazing. You know what they say, chasing storms ain't free. So please enjoy this quick message from our sponsor and we'll be right back. Brought to you by RY Originals, whole plant, vegan CBD vitamins that are full of healthy, purposeful vitamins, minerals, and herbs. Hemp is more nutrient dense than broccoli and berries. It's a superfood. For some reason, every other CBD product extracts and isolates the CBD from the plant, leaving all the nutrients behind. But RY says, not today, nutrients. You're coming with us. By lightly baking the hemp powder and mixing it in with other natural vitamins and minerals, RY creates a perfectly healthy and perfectly balanced experience. So not only do they make you feel good, they are also really good for you. They're double lab tested and activated without extraction, which makes them truly original. RY Originals has crafted four unique blends. They've got Better Mood, Pain Lift, Sleep Tight, and Original Blend, all of which are available right now at shop.ryoriginals.com. That's S-H-O-P dot R-Y-O-R-I-G-I-N-A-L-S dot com. So check them out today, and don't forget to use discount code STORMCHASER at the checkout to get 420 off every bottle. RY Originals, eat your greens. Your Instagram says uh, that you're an orthodox existentialist, and I, and I really wanted to ask you what that means to you. Well, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek for me, um, because I, I think being orthodox anything is yeah 
is tricky. Again, I don't really believe in blacks and whites as far as, you know, this is completely good and this is completely evil. Like, I think there's always, almost always, you know, room for that to be challenged. But um, (laughs) I got really into the theory of existentialism and all of the writers of that time in college because I was trying to figure out what I believed in just the world, what I was doing. Um, And so this idea of like creating your own meaning of having your own ability to control the way you existed within the world and how you reacted to a situation. Like we can't control shit, but we can with how we respond and what we want to contribute and how we make the best of every situation. So orthodox existentialist was like, I am, I feel very strongly and very orthodox about we figure it out. We figure it out as we go along. We make it up. You might say you improvise. You're off the team. I'm going to go. You're I'm going to log off. You're off the podcast. I'm going to log, off. Gonna log, gonna log, log off. off. Yeah. Get out of here. Good one. Don't encourage. <laughs> and that is your reality. Yeah. Hey. Can I ask a tangential question? Please. What the hell is the deal with F1? <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, oh, I don't even know if we have the time. Um, yes, tell us like three to five reasons why you love F1. Okay. Okay. I absolutely can. Well, okay. So it is, I'm try to, it is a sport, a sport that takes so much concentration, so much training, so much skill, and yet so much being in tune with a machine that can kill you, does kill you, has often killed many. It's like the contradictions of the sport blow my mind. And the fact, so I I grew up being a horseback rider. I would train horses for the girls that would show them. I didn't, I didn't do the showing. But there's something about working with a live animal that's two tons that you have to have skill and training and everything, but you have to just be like aligned with them. You have, you have to be incredibly present. It taught me presence. It taught me how to meld together so many different things. And it's like the training, it seems technical. And then the just being in tune. And I see that with formula one, Hey, they're going 220, 240 miles an hour. Formula one, unlike NASCAR, go on tracks. So they're going through cities. We're not watching somebody go in a circle. That to me is interesting. So for example, this weekend is Monaco and Monaco is one of the hardest tracks because it is on narrow streets. It, you know, think about when you're driving a car, sometimes going into a tunnel, I'm like, Whoa, God, that was dark. You know, I'm, I'm in a car going like 45, you know, I'm like, okay. Um, but they also have these just machines that are marvels of human ingenuity. And it is so technical and so amazing. But if the driver isn't driving with the car and we're talking like, depending on how hot it is outside, what the weather conditions are like, how the, how the, the 
actual um, terrain is. Well, these are long races too, right? Oh, oh, like, two hours. Like you've yeah. got to be locked in for hours. It's a, yeah. yeah. And aren't there only like 15 drivers in the entire world? 20. 20 drivers. So like Whoa. these guys are like the elite to be an F1 driver. It like in in the NBA, there's what, like 300 players or something like that. So F1 is like, if you want to be an F1 driver, you are the very best at what you do. And you started when you're really young. This is something that I've learned since becoming like a super fan. Again, this has given me so much insight into people who get crazy about sports. Cause I was always like, ah. like, I'm just not competitive in that regard. You know, I, I don't, I'm like, cool. It's fun. I love a sporting event. I love me some basketball, love hockey. Dope. But I'm not, I couldn't tell you the starting, the starting lineup. I couldn't tell you what play, what was, I don't know the stats. And my best friend and I just deep dived, like started, I was buying books. Like I've started learning about the different tires, like what compounds they're using so that like what temperature you need to be at. What? So You're a fucking nerd. Oh, God, <laughs> nerd. oh yeah. I mean, in school, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite subject was neurochemistry. Like I like science. Mm. I like things that are just like, I don't know, for some reason, F1 lights me up. And to have these people who are at the top of their game, because there's, you know, when they're little kids and they're doing their, I mean, they're not even that little, but they're like go-karts essentially. And they start really young and then there's F3 and then there's F2. And also probably, and you guys can fill in why, um, the proximity to life and death and the stakes of it all is electrifying. You know, they just got to a place where somebody's like not dying every year or two. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, obviously I'm, so that's probably not just five things, but no, I would say it's it great though. You Fantastic. have me convinced I'm going to go watch that. I listened to an interview with a Indy, with a formula one driver and just Which one, one uh, I don't remember. <laughs> um, but he mentioned that he mentioned that documentary you were talking about. But one of the things that I was like, oh, I never would have thought about that. We were talking about how they, they train and stuff is they do neck exercises because the weight of their helmet and the G force of going around turns ends up being like hundreds of pounds on their neck oh, yeah. for two hours. <laughs> so it's like there's just so much you don't think about. It's, it's so much you don't think about. They yeah. just got. Like they they used to just do like helmets and they had this strap, right? But there's this thing now that they wear that goes over their shoulders a little bit that like holds their neck in place because there were multiple drivers that would have survived, quote unquote, the impact, but their neck snap because oh. of the impact. I mean, some of these crashes, like if that doesn't make you a little bit curious and also why they do it. And this like thing, like everybody who gets into an insane crash wants to get back driving immediately. It, it, that is like some, you know, that's like, that's like, it's in your blood shit. Like that's a, that's some kind of virus I would like watching. So, okay. Yeah. So two things. One, listening to you talk about this is reminding me that like, if you learn why someone loves something, you can learn to love it yourself. And I feel like people delighting in details always makes me more curious. So if there's yeah. something I don't understand, like the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, this thing is cool. The other thing is, is have you guys read Man's Search for Meaning? No. It's, it, well, it's great. Great book. Great book. But I felt like what I got from it was 
this idea that the meaning of life is like whatever gives you meaning. Literally, whatever meaning you give it is the meaning of life. And I find that when people are like really into these crafts, sports, whatever it is, and they reach that place that that they're, they have to be so present to do it the way that they want, whether it's, you know, somebody who's like a blacksmith or a driver or an actor, that there's something about that that's like very close to, I don't know, the meaning of life or very close to like what people get from, I think, religion and stuff like that. And it's it's cool to hear that they're they love it so much that they're like, nope, this is why I live. So I'm just going to, even if I die, this is why I live. It's Orthodox existentialism. Boom. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> but it really it is exciting. And now I'm like, oh, that's why people love sports, like on that level. Like we've been waking up at, you know, 5.30 to watch them uh, do their qualifiers at 6 a.m. on Saturday and then watch the game or the game, the race, uh, for two hours on Sunday. Like that's, wow. that's where it's, you know, I'm now like learning about the tracks because I'm curious and I'm learning like why, what like being on pole means, what being that like, there's all, and, and every year they change something up, which is also really confusing. There's some rule or you're not allowed to use this technology or you're not allowed to use that technology because they're not trying to equalize everything exactly, but they're very clearly like Mercedes is just hard to beat. Lewis Hamilton is just 10 out of 10, one of the most epic drivers of all time ever. And he, it's wild. It's wild. Wow. You mentioned uh, studying neuroscience and being really interested in that. And that's a, that's a specific type of brain that enjoys that and, and learns to love that. How does that fit in or affect your process as an artist? Does it, does, do you see those as things that work together and inform each other? I, I do. I do because when I went to, when I went to college, I left a television show to, you know, go pursue other things. I had other interests and I think everyone just assumed that I was going to be a theater major. And at the time I had done theater, but I didn't, I didn't know who Chekhov was. I didn't, I liked watching theater, but I didn't appreciate it as a craft. Like craft to me was macaroni and cheese. You know, I went to college at 17. I was, you know, I didn't train with anybody then. So when I got to college, I had always loved chemistry, like other parts of science, totally. Math was not my thing, but for whatever reason in chemistry, I could understand it. Like math as units of energy or units of like that, like that somehow made sense to my brain. So I get to college and I see neurochemistry is offered for a freshman. And I'm like, okay, I want to take that. I want to take psychology. Um, and then I want to take my English courses and, you know, Spanish. Great. And I excelled in neurochemistry. And by the time I graduated, because I was supremely influenced by Oliver Sacks coming to speak at my school, who is an incredible author and if you don't know him, I mean, he passed away years ago now, but he showed up in this shirt that said heavy metal rules, which is hilarious given that he was a neuroscientist. And like, I just thought that was so peachy. And um, he, you know, did the actual research for this film called Awakenings and wrote the book that the movie was based on. 
And so all of a sudden, like a light bulb went on that I loved acting. I loved storytelling. Holy shit. Maybe I could combine the things I'm interested in and make them a part of the art that I love so much. Because I think beforehand I had had it really bifurcated in my mind. Like I'm an actress or I'm a scholar. (laughs) I like, I can do this or, you know, and so all of a sudden here was this window to integrate the things, but I had not had enough English credits to major in English if that's where I wanted to go. If I wanted to be able to write about all the things that I was getting inspired and interested and wanting to pursue deeper and deeper. And then the thought of like being in a hospital for the rest of my life and not being able to travel or, you know, just research other kinds of humans or things like it just all made sense. So I, that's when I went to school in England for a year because it was the only way to get my English credits. And I ended up majoring in English, minoring in sociology because, and, and then, you know, concentrating in neuroscience. And when somebody asked me, cause I went straight back into acting, what that was about, I was like, well, neuroscience has helped me understand the way each of our brains are so, so different and the ways that they're the same. And the ways that every single character is going to be, have some sort of interesting alchemy, right? Sociology, obviously, is the, you know, world in which perhaps our brains are getting influenced, the way we're expressing ourselves within the world. And then English is the way that I can express that, like the way that I can write about it, the way that I get to convey all of these things that light me up, you know? Um, and keep researching and exploring and getting to constantly stay interested and curious about this art form that I love. And so to me, yes, it all makes sense. <laughs> that's cool. why. That's, but it I took a second. That. It took a second. That's a great answer. Yeah. Character like brain alchemy. I love it. I love it. Have you been, have you been writing much lately? I have, um, two shows that were pitching one in particular that I'm, I'm praying gets out there that would be so much fun. And then now working on the podcast and there are some other projects like I have in the works, but I think if I'm going to be completely honest, the pandemic was really hard for me. I I got depressed. And when I get depressed, I find it is almost impossible to be creative. And I was basically just doing audiobooks from the closet in my office um, one after another, which I was so grateful for the work and to be able, you know, to read and to, to tell stories. However, it made me incredibly sedentary because you got to read to prep and then you read to do it. I was scared to go outside. This is like, you know, height of pandemic misinformation and terror. And I didn't realize like how active of a human I am. Like so much of my mental health is actually related to And it's not even like I need to go work out hardcore or like, you know, do soul cycle or whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's bike ride and, and do jumping jacks. And, you know, I I wasn't taking walks. I wasn't getting Mm -hmm. like, it really started to mess with my head. And so I think in the last like few months, especially I'm getting back into like a little bit of a routine and it's just, it's taking my brain like a little longer to catch up. But I'm like almost there now. I feel the same way. Like yeah, very relatable. now that I'm vaccinated, I feel like I'm finally, my, my anxiety started to lift a little. But really, I'm just now seeing how 
many things in my life I need to bounce back from, or I feel like I've kind of dug myself in a, well, not even that I dug myself in a hole, but just that I feel like I am in one. <laughs> and, yeah. and now I'm like, I think I'm mentally ready to crawl out of this hole. Oh, that's nice and also scary. Absolutely. I mean, we like, I feel it's easy to underestimate just how much anxiety can just blanket everything you're doing and make everything harder and, and how linked anxiety is to depression. We were all scared. People were and are dying still. I know people that got horrifically ill and were on in, you know, had to be intubated. And I know people that got it and wouldn't have known if they weren't getting tested regularly. It was across the gambit. And it's like, you know, they don't know where they got it. They were being just as careful as I was. That's terrifying. There's, there's no way that's not going to affect us. And, and, you know, again, grief isn't just about like losing a human or somebody dying or like we were experiencing a collective grief. We couldn't go about our lives anymore. We couldn't connect with one another. We couldn't fucking hug each other. Like the amount that physical touch or just, you know, like I cried the first time I got to hug my best friend. Cried hysterically. It just was, it was a big fucking deal. And, and, you know, I'm sure our grandkids like way down the road are gonna be like, why is grandma still washing her groceries like that? <laughs> like, well, it's just, you know, it's just because of the pandemic of 2020. <laughs> like, why is she always wiping her hands? Yeah, we've well. been we're we've been messed with now. You know, yeah. if you if you could like shoot out a text to anybody who's experiencing grief, whether it's from the pandemic or losing a loved one, do you have any advice or or words to to put out there in the universe? There's not a right way to do it, so you're not doing it wrong. I'm sorry, it sucks. But the best takeaway I've gotten is how to ask for help. So don't be afraid to. I love that. It's one of the hardest things to learn. And I still hate it. (laughs) I still hate it. I like still don't want to be like, I'm having a hard day being vulnerable because when you're in grief, you don't even know what you want. So they think that's a common misconception where people are like, what can I get you? What can I do for you? And they're, they really are trying to be helpful. And for the person who's in grief, you're like, I can't. Yeah. I don't mean to make this about me, but just on that note, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer last year. And so often we get, let us know if you need anything. And it's always like, thank you. But I'm not capable of knowing if I need anything. (laughs) Like, I don't even know how to answer that. And I'm certainly don't have the mental capacity or the energy to reach out to you. Oh, God, no. It's a tough skill. But on the flip side, now that we've been going this through a year pretty publicly, we decided to like share it with the world. I've had people now reach out to me, even just like strangers on Twitter and stuff who have since gotten family members diagnosed. And when people reach out to me for help, I love to help. So also, I think knowing that you're when you ask for help, you're not burdening anyone. Most people are grateful for the opportunity to serve you. A hundred percent. But like you said, there is this like, there's just this valley in which like sometimes you can say, Hey, I need this. But most of the time you don't know, especially right when you're in it. And so something that I would like to get out there to people, I know this from my experience, people ask that because they don't want to impose. Mm-hmm. They don't want to make it like harder somehow or, or like sensationalize this thing that you're going through somehow. 
Yeah. I remember feeling this way when one of my, my closest friend's mom got uh, brain cancer and I, you know, they needed this, they needed, and I was like, okay, I can do this. And then I would, I would kind of leave. Cause I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to oppose. I didn't want it to seem like I, and again, sensationalistic, I sort of to be close in proximity to this tragedy that I didn't know. I never experienced. I didn't know how to relate to it. And then when my dad got sick, just a few years later, I called her hysterical and was like, I'm so sorry. I wasn't there for you. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I just learned you just show up. Mm-hmm. You just show up. And, and, and you, the, as the person who doesn't know what they're doing, like nobody does, but you just show up and guess what? You give that person space to say, Hey, if you want me to leave, I absolutely will. There's nothing that I, I'm not going to be upset. I'm not, you know, you're, you don't need to emotionally take care of me, but you just show up. You show up to sit there. You show up with food. You show up with fucking toilet paper. You just show up even a little bit. You fucking write a text knowing that they may never text you back saying, I'm thinking of you. That's all you can do because the person doesn't like, we don't have words when we're in it. You know, I would sit at the hospital and you got to eat. Like it would take somebody being like, Hey, can, can we go for a walk? Let's go outside. And I was like, outside. Yes. And just 15 minutes of that would give me strength to keep going. But I don't have to fucking ask for that. Right. You know, like if I had the wherewithal to be like, Hey, maybe going outside would be better. I probably would have done that, but that's like, there was no brain space for that. So I, I now tell people, and it's because I didn't do it and, you know, no one's ever going to be mad at you for not showing up, but they will remember that you did. Thank you. This, that, that is very, very helpful. I appreciate you sharing so much of yourself. And, um, you know, you said something about death is coming for us all. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious in your long, wonderful career, if you have any like bucket list items for yourself that you're like, I'd like to do this now. Cause I mean, all there is is now. So what's, what's interesting you at, at the moment? Oh, great question. Travel is something that I, I need. I'd like need as a human deep, deep down. I, I like to go to places where I'm fish out of water and I like to, feel like I'm a traveler and not a tourist, which will mean, you know, yes, everyone should go see Paris. And I absolutely want to go see Tokyo one day, but you know, there are small islands in the Mediterranean that I'm like, I want to go live there for like three to six months. Do you feel like six months living someplace is enough time to feel like you lived there? I think a year is more a year time okay. to feel like you lived there. But I think six months is a hell of an experience. Again, I have a real love for for vintage clothes because I feel like they are pieces of history and wearable art and really expressive and of another time. It, like it really, it's a, the most sustainable thing that you can wear. And I try my best to be as sustainable as possible. I also love things that are like handmade and ISO and um, going to the Met Gala is something I'd like to do before I die. I want to go to the Met Ball and I want to cool. like dress the fuck up. I want like <laughs> like to be like the most extreme. You know, I actually, I really appreciate your fashion sense. Like you do. I feel like you often post things on Instagram where I'm like, it is a work of art. I am not somebody in tune with clothing at all. (laughs) And honestly, I don't even have a question about it. Just 
it's encouraging to see and it makes me more interested in it. But I'm, yeah, I'm such a sweatpants girl, but I, I, I'm like, I want to be more like that. That's, and I like the sustainability of vintage clothing. I never thought about that before. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really cool. I, I've had the great privilege to work with this basically a vintage fair, um, but it's also a company that's called a current affair and they host vendors and highlight vendors and sell things, you know, that are, some of them are like historic, insane designer pieces and other things are just fucking awesome. You know, like whatever it's again, you know, whatever excites you and lights you up. And I, I'm somebody who can like touch a piece of clothing and go somewhere else and feel like a different person a little bit. So I've gotten to host for them uh, during this pandemic and I hope to continue working with them forever, but I, you know, get to try on these collections and then I talk about them. And so for me, nerd that I am, I like look into the history. I want to know what, you know, this person was, I've never heard of Izzy Miyake and like, how can I talk about that? Like it's, it's been so fucking cool. So that's been really special. So, you know, fashion has been a big love of my life because my mom was very, very fashionable and, you know, just always had this killer sense of style. And while our styles are very different, she, she really instilled in me that presentation of self. And again, given, you know, being an actress, she was a publicist, all the things like it could be creative and it didn't need to be superficial. Ooh, I like that a lot. Yeah. I love that. It's like self-expression, like fuck, like what you think it should be. It's just like you're expressing yourself. One of my least favorite things ever is when they talk about trends. Bitch, it doesn't matter what the trend is. Do you <laughs> like wearing it? Does it make yeah. you feel good? Does it say something about yourself? Mm. Who the fuck cares? Because it all comes back around. All the shit that you like, you know, sorry, mom jeans. If you were alive in the 90s, everybody had a fucking pair of mom jeans. You didn't have fucking skinny jeans. That came in like the aughts. You know, like, mm-hmm. well, why can't you have both? Like, what does it matter? Like, anyways, I just, if it, if it makes you feel good and again, bonus, if it's sustainable. So if it's not fast fashion that adds to insane amounts of pollution. And if you can buy from smaller companies that do smaller batches of things, like, again, I'm not gonna lie. I found some really cool shit at Zara. <laughs> do try to. Do I believe in their ethos as a company? (laughs) (laughs) Pish's whole wardrobe is Zara. Alex, it's good to hear that you're a fan of fast fashion. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I I like digging into these things because I think as someone who is, as people living in in an environment and a profession in which people can become obsessive, it's good to remember that like we are full human beings who have full human lives and to be interested in life and to have other hobbies and other interests and be a full human is to be a more complete artist. So I have one more thing, but I want to be respectful of your time. Oh no, I'm having a blast. So whatever. <laughs> so great. Like, okay. Honestly, so curious. I'm, I'm curious. I looking at your IMDB is like, you've done a lot of fucking shit. So is there, do you have like any, I don't know how to ask this, whether it's writing for yourself or from a play or, or something that doesn't exist yet. Do you have any dream roles or, or things you'd like to do on, on set or on stage that you haven't done yet? Okay. I don't know that we have time for that. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
you know, I think it, um, it is a very calm or common characteristic of artists that you even saying you've done so much shit in my mind. I'm like, what have I done? Like, it doesn't, you know what I like, I'm constantly concerned that I haven't done the things I want to do and that I haven't contributed enough and that I want to play these characters that people can see themselves in that turn on a light bulb in their own lives about something that they weren't ignoring or give them more compassion for themselves or honestly make them excited or interested in a subject that they never would have given any time to. I also love comedy. Like I think there is such healing power in making people fucking laugh. Yeah. Because if you can make people laugh, you can give permission to people to cry. Dude, I was, I was just thinking about being a comedian is so hard because it's not just express yourself. It's not just play the thing. It's make a noise come out of me. Make this specific <laughs> noise that I don't know why I make it and it's unexplainable. Make in- this noise. Come- yeah, yeah, it's involuntary. Make that noise come out of me. And I'm like, it's fucking insane. You know, when you when you get a laugh on stage, it's it you feel like a fucking magician. I I watched Bear With Us and I have to say, that's a great character for you. So different than, so different from the short, so different from Red Dead and other things that I'd seen you do. Um, Had like those like Luna Lovegood vibes a little bit. And I was like (laughs) this, I was like, and I thought it was like the best part of the movie. So. Thank you. Yeah. it, It was really, it was a lot of fun and I was grateful to play that part because I don't get, I don't, do ditzy. Like that hasn't been my jam. It's not how I get cast. It's not like what my voice lends itself to, you know, I, I'm just excited to play this like open hearted, simple, sweet human. Who's got a little bit of edge, but like it was, it was really fun. And to do a weird like horror film comedy in black and white was also like tiny, tiny indie with a micro budget. And just like, you know, working with Cheyenne Jackson, like our sex scene is still something I will never forget. It was, <laughs> it was definitely my favorite sex scene. Um, Cause there's nothing like working with a gorgeous gay man to make you feel comfortable in a sex scene. Like no one's <laughs> ever been like, okay, hold on. Where should I put my, my hand? And I'm like, well, I guess right here where I don't like where that looks. He's like, great. I was like, okay. And then we were doing like the most hilarious creative stuff. I was like, how far can we take this? So I'm pretty sure we just go as far as we want. I was doing like a wheelbarrow situation. Like, I was, you know, like <laughs> we were just trying to basically get everyone on set to die laughing, you know, so that they'd have to like basically cut because it was too funny. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a blast. That was a highlight from that. <laughs> can we perfect. end on, can we end on silly sex scene? We can end on silly sex yeah, scene, Yeah, I think right? wheelbarrow <laughs> move is a great button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Everyone's man. like, Alex, where is your career going? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as far as I'm concerned, Alex, I mean, you should have your own TV show. Like you're, you're so good. Like you're just so good that I've got no doubt it's, it's coming for you. You know what I mean? Like. It's, Dude, it, I'm jealous of you. your truth. Every like everything that I watched this week, I was like, "There's not ever a moment where there's not life behind your eyes. Like you're in." And I was like, "That and that is something that even with really talented or charismatic actors, there's usually moments of 
that I'm like, ah, they're out, they're out, man. But you are so in it. Um, yeah, you're great. I, I can't wait to see where your career goes. And I, we'll, we'd love to work with you sometime, hopefully, oh fingers God. crossed. Dream. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I have, I'm, I'm just putting it out there in the universe for the universe to hear that I'm like, I'm going to write something for you. It's going to be fucking dope. And we're going to make it. It'll be great. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast show. I thought this episode was very beautiful. And there were a few times that I got pretty teary eyed, even though you, the listener, probably can't see it. Unless you have a camera in my office, in which case, please stop that. Andrew Pish. You can follow Alex on Instagram at MaxMagpie. She is a delight. And Pish, get the camera out of my office. Pish, Pish, I see you. I see you. Thank you for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show.